everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. I'm your host today, Valentino Stoll, and we're joined today by a very special guest, Jesse Spivak. Jesse, you want to uh, introduce yourself today and maybe tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Valentino, thanks for having me. My name is Jesse Spivak, he, him pronouns. I work at a company called Stripe, and I've been Ruby developer for a while now. I have kind of a non-traditional background. I, I got into tech not through computer science program or anything. I went to one of those newfangled code schools in the mid-20-teens when those things were kind of proliferating. And I was fortunate enough to go to, you know, there's sort of like a spectrum of code schools. There's like the uh, charlatan snake oil. You go for like two weeks and and they say you're ready to go. And then there's like kind of a class of very legitimate ones. So I was in in the latter where I went to a pretty reputable place called the Turing School. And... After that, I worked at a company called Ibotta, which is a cashback for shopping app in Denver, Colorado. And yeah, that's kind of that's kind of me. I'm also a dad. I got twin, uh, almost seven year olds. So pretty stoked on that. And yeah, that's me. Congratulations. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood. I've been talking to a whole bunch of people that want to update their resume and find a better job. And I figure, well, why not just share my resume? So you, if you go to topendevs.com slash resume, enter your name and email address, then you'll get a copy of the resume that I use, that I've used through freelancing, through most of my career, as I've kind of refined it and tweaked it to get me the jobs that I want. Uh, Like I said, topendevs.com slash resume will get you that. And uh, you can just kind of use the formatting. It comes in Word and Pages formats, and you can just fill it in from there. So, I mean, uh, the Turing School, it's awesome. We actually have a, a couple people from there at Doximity. What got you into, like, that kind of program versus, like, something more traditional? Like, what made you go that direction? I'm curious. Yeah, so I'm of the age. I know um, I, I I look very young. I look like an 18-year-old or something. <laughs> I'm actually quite a bit older than that. But I think when I was growing up, you were sort of, at least in my experience in, in primary school and, and high school, you were sort of either good at English or good, you know, good at uh, math or good at English. And and if you were good at math, then you had sort of a, a trajectory laid out for you. And if you were good at English, then you had a different set of, uh, of outcomes available to you. So I, I sort of viewed myself in that, like, I am good at writing, good at reading, and math is hard category. So engineering, software development, computer science, like none of that was even on my radar when I, when I was making, when I was when I was actually 18 years old and making these decisions. So instead of going into a more technical field, I went into the teaching field and I taught for a bunch of years and I became an assistant principal. And then I did some consulting for New York City public schools. And then I went back and became an assistant principal again. And you, you know, the, the listeners to Ruby, Ruby Rose may be surprised to hear this, but the education world is very difficult and the stress level is high and the pay is very low and the hours are very long. And it's really not a sustainable career for, for the vast majority of people. At least that was my experience. And when my kids uh, were born, it was basically like, okay, this is not going to work. We need to find something else. And by that time, I had spent enough time in spreadsheets and, and kind of hacking through technical systems to realize that, hey, maybe there's like a career. Maybe I could find someone to pay me to automate things or, or, or do things like that. And through some research, I found the Turing School which was heavily affiliated with a lot of folks that I had some experience with in the education world. So that it felt like the, you know, the vibes were, were right. And I went there and 
actually learned some technical chops and was able to to get a job from there. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's always good to hear a success story. <laughs> it's a, and you know, it's it's interesting to hear how the you know code schools you know work coming out of it, right? Because yeah, I know like the inter- we were talking about this before the show, but interviewing really sucks, and like the interviewing process for anyone is really like if you don't have anything built up, which it seems like code school is kind of a good path for that, right? Is that helps you build up you know work that people can look at which is kind of like for software, that's what most people look at, I would say. But it's interesting to see like, you know, that you had no problem coming out and getting a job, right? (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth, but... Yeah, so so let's (laughs) let's dig into that a little bit. Let's let's sort of um, interrogate that that statement for a second. So I think when I started Turing, this was in uh, 2016, June of 2016. In my head, I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to do this program. And a few weeks before I finish it, someone is going to come to me and say, we would like to pay you a six digit, a six figure salary to now to write software. And that was not actually my experience. There was definitely like a grind after graduating where it was just like, I need to reach out to people, cold outreach to people, email people I haven't talked to in a while, just trying to get connections, network, find opportunities that were available before I could actually get hired. And so I wouldn't say that it's it's definitely not like you get a certificate and then there's like 15 companies who are ready to to sign you up. If anything, it's 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 the opposite of that. <laughs> there's definitely a pathway there. There's like the the outcome Turing publishes outcomes and with respect to like how long it takes people to find jobs and what starting salaries are. And they're they're very impressive and the, the numbers are good. But when you're in that few weeks or months between when you finish the program and get your job and get that paycheck, that can be very stressful, especially if you have twins. Yeah, I bet. And so like, <laughs> what are what the nerves are high? Like, do you just accept the first one you get? Or <laughs> like, what what is that process like? Yeah, so some folks manage to actually get multiple offers, which is awesome. That was not my experience. I was very I, I feel like just super lucky, super fortunate that I was able to get an offer at the company that I started my first uh, professional software development job at, which was Ibotta. It was just a, such a great place to start my career. Great people, great opportunities to learn. I joined the company when there were about, I want to say like 30 developers. And I saw, and I think when I left, there was closer to 300 developers. So I kind of saw like different phases of the startup, of the tech startup world in that one job. but. Yeah, I think, you know, if if, if I had, uh, you know, if a week before a crappier company was like, we would like to pay you to work for us, I would have been like, yep, cool. <laughs> and, and you know, we were talking, we were, we were talking about this software developers have it pretty good. And like, once you're, once you're in, you can be a little choosier. So I feel like now I'm quite a bit choosier than, oh, you'll pay me, I'll do it. <laughs> right, right. At what level, like, would you say that you felt comfortable like that? Well, I, like how, I, how long? <laughs> yeah, I, know sure. I, meet, I meet a lot of like, I used to do the Ruby guides. Uh, every once in a while, I'll go back and do those at the RubyConf or RailsConf. And like a lot of the people coming into the community, they like worry like, okay, like, so I've got this job, like, I don't want to feel I, I feel trapped or how long is too long? How, how short is too short? Like, what made you feel comfortable where you you were like worthwhile? You, you felt worthwhile, right? Like, because yeah. I know when I first started, like, as a Ruby dev, like, I felt it was a long time. It was probably like four years, five years before <laughs> I felt personally comfortable to be like, okay, now I know something, right? 
<laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, I, I'm I'm curious to to hear you hear more about that from you because I know that you were saying that you've been at Doximity for quite a while and you were at your previous gig for a long time also. I think what your question makes me think of is just imposter syndrome in general and feeling like always always feeling like oh, I don't know this, I don't know how to do this. And I think that the truth of the, the the truth of the matter is that software developers are asked to solve problems that either that nobody knows how to solve or don't have clear answers. And that is like the difference between being like a professional software developer and just, and I guess not being a professional software developer, but sort of being able to like persist in that space of, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Okay, I think I have an idea, let's go. So yeah, I, I don't think that like, you know, I don't want to put it out there that like, oh, I'm like the, I'm the, the, the 10x developer or whatever, like that's nonsense. But I've also been on the other side of the interview table enough where I do know that like I have some skills and some knowledge that is marketable. Yeah, I hear that. I mean, I would say the the biggest thing that I came because I came from like, uh, I had like almost zero Ruby experience. Uh, and then I joined a consultancy. And I, my Ruby experience was basically through Rails that I learned Spree as like, an add-on e-commerce service to like some advertising agency. So it was like kind of just like me like in a console like spree install and then like hoping things worked, right? Like <laughs> that there would be not many customizations. And then as customizations came up, then I learned more and more. But so my transition into like a consultancy was probably like it was very hard, <laughs> I thought. <laughs> and because like the people that I had ended up working with at the time and this is maybe like almost 10 years ago now, they seem to have it together. <laughs> and maybe maybe that's like a common theme is uh, trying to benchmark yourself against other people. It's, it's probably never a good idea, <laughs> no matter how much experience you have. Yeah, right. that's, that makes me think of a story where when I was originally working at Ibotta, there was like a DevOps team. Not, I don't know if DevOps is the right term, but it, more of a DevOps team. Like they, they kind of handled the Terraform for the company and... And I remember I was I had to set up like an SQSQ or something and reach out to a person on that team. I think her name is Erin uh, Adkins. And we, we paired on this on setting this piece of infrastructure up. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like you're a real developer. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. This is like the real stuff here. Like you're setting up the pipes and, you know, all the all this information. And, and she said something pretty meaningful to me. She said, you know what, like everyone here has very specialized knowledge and a very specialized skill set. And this is just my specialized skill set. You are more, you know, you know, X, Y, and Z that I would feel totally that that would be totally alien to me. And I was like, Oh, yeah, that, that kind of is true. There's like a layer, a business logic layer that like, I know pretty well that would not uh, that that she had very little experience with. And so that was like very affirming of so, uh, an engineer who I looked up to, who was saying, you're, you're valid you know, you know things, you can do this. Yeah, I hear that. And I mean, that's, that's kind of the the first RailsConf experience I had is because like all the talks are very niche, right? Like they have their the tracks that they go on to, but for the most part is somebody giving like their years or maybe just like a f- full year, months, who knows how much time that they spent, but a decent amount of time they spent in this thing, specific thing they're talking about before they even made their talk, which takes a long time which thankfully I haven't had to give a talk before because <laughs> it's it's a lot of work. <laughs> I've I've only given them at like small meetups or like the company, you know, Doximity Lunch and Learn or something. 
And I, even those are a lot of work. I can't imagine getting up in front of like something that gets recorded forever, right? On YouTube. <laughs> and so I totally get it. Like, cause you go in and you like, see all these people giving very granular, narrow focused talks about a specific thing. And it's like, well, I don't know half of the stuff that they're talking about. Like, I'll come away maybe knowing a little bit more, right? Like my window has opened a little bit, right? But in the grand scheme of the whole conference, there's no way you could take in all of it, right? Like over the full year, I'll probably watch all these YouTube videos and still not take away, you know, the a lot of the talk specifics, right? Because there is just too much, right? And so, I, yeah, I totally get it. It's like hard to come out of that and be like, okay, like I know these things, right? And I'm okay with that. It's definitely, it's, it's t- tricky in general in software, I think, because there is so much you do need to know, but also so much you don't need to know. So it's hard balancing that, right? It's definitely hard to balance that. And if you are new on the job, even if you have a lot of experience, you you sort of, in a lot of ways, go back to zero because a lot of the tooling might be new. A lot of the systems might be new. Certainly the code is new. And so, yeah, the things that you, you, the domain knowledge that you accrued in the past may not be relevant at all anymore. And so I guess it's interesting to think about what are the skills that actually transfer job to job. Yeah. So you've come out of Abada and into a, a new role, I, I've heard. <laughs> That's true. So yeah. Into, into the bigger space. So how, how big of a company we're talking with Abada? I think Ibotta had on the order of like 300 people when I started and, and like 30 devs, roughly. And then four and a half years later, it was probably like 800 people, cl- close to 800 people and like 300 devs or something, 250 devs. Okay. Don't quote me. Those, those numbers may or may not be true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you can just like splice in like the real numbers in the in post-production. <laughs> and yeah, so that was really interesting to see. And I think I do, I, I guess like I really appreciate that kind of opportunity to see that growth because I remember the first team that I was on at Ibotta, we would have, you know, stand up every, every morning and there were about like six or 10 folks who'd go around the room and say, here's what I'm working on. Here's, here's what's going well. Here's, here's something I might be blocked on or whatever. And each of those like check-ins became like a new domain in the tech ecosystem of Ibotta. So because I was there in the room when there were like eight people talking about this system, when there were, when each of those eight people became like multiple teams, it became a lot easier to like keep that information, kind of keep like the big picture in mind. So I really appreciate that. And if if, I I would just say like folks who have the, have the opportunity to kind of be in that space should not take it for granted. And it's very different than where I'm at now, where I certainly don't have the entire ecosystem like in my brain <laughs> at all. <laughs> I see. So, I mean, so you've moved to a much bigger company, it sounds. And so, like, what is that experience like? So, yeah, like you're, you're at a smaller place where maybe you have more of the stack or more pieces of the tooling that you're involved with and exposed to. Is that your experience? Does that go away? Like, what is that transition like? Yeah, I guess at Ibotta, I could open up the the schema file in our in our Rails monolith and kind of have pretty have a pretty good sense of like what all the tables were for. Not all the tables, but like a good a good majority of the tables. I felt like okay, I kind of know what this is. Now that is definitely not the case, <laughs> and. Yeah, I, I think that 
I guess now the issue is more understanding like the interface between what my team is directly responsible for and other teams that kind of either consume data from us or give us data, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That was actually one of the biggest things that because I was at a consultancy with like three or four people before this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so now, I mean, Doximity maybe has like 200 engineers, probably more than that. I lose track. But you know, it's that's even smaller than Stripe. (laughs) Yeah. And so like, it's hard to keep track of. It's kind of amazing first, like your jobs that you have to do like day to day, like start to drop off into different departments. That's right. Exactly. Right. Like uh, QA, which is a process to just make sure something works. Right. Is like, you know, its own division. Right. Like you have a group of people and they go and they check their job is to make sure that they could set up an environment and go through and make sure all the data is set up the right way and make sure that what you did and the changes you made, right, did what they you say they want to do, right? <laughs> and so like those jobs change, right? So like before you'd be going in and doing those checks yourself and be like, okay, this looks good. Like, let me just deploy this thing. And now, you know, that gets broken up and somebody else says, okay, these changes look good, right? <laughs> And it's almost like you get an incremental like PA like coming with you, you know, like even like the deployment process, right? Like a lot of that doesn't go away, but you are less involved in it, right? Like uh, from what I remember, I remember having to build like custom Capistrano stuff and having to make sure that that works and all the ins and outs of the server and things like that. And now, you know, that's abstracted away and you know, some infra team is involved in making sure that that works <laughs> and more performant and XYZ, right? And so yeah. what, are, what are some other stuff that you've realized that I let's work, focus on the positives? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I don't want to get fired. <laughs> but yeah, the it's interesting you say that, that you, you kind of talk about like tooling as as kind of a difference as you grow in scale. And I think that's definitely true. And I would say that there's sort of two groups of employees at Stripe uh, in terms of developers. There are the folks who came from smaller shops like like me, and then there are folks who came from like much larger shops, so like the people who came from Amazon, Google, M- Meta, Facebook, whatever. These folks come in and they're like, "Wow, this place is the Wild West! Like you can move so fast, and like there, there's no tools for anything." And the folks in my camp come in and are like wow, there's tools for everything and there's systems for everything. This is incredible. So I think the way that you see this, this sort of scale, scalability of the systems in place depends a lot on where you sit and where, where, you, where you come from. I can give like more examples there. So like when you start at Stripe, uh, as a developer, you get a, a spin-up buddy. And I know you, this happens at a lot of companies. That was definitely the case at Ibotta as well. But just there's more systems around that at, at, at Stripe because of the size. So there's more automation. Like I have a spin-up buddy now where or I'm spin I'm a spin-up buddy for someone right now. And I just got an automatic email that was like, hey, it's been 45 days since your person joined. Make sure you check in about the following things and then like report over here and do this. So all that stuff is kind of automated and you need that in the size company that that Stripe is at this point because if you, I think you can't really rely on like the, on individuals being consistently executing on something if you're, once you hit a certain scale, because individuals are individuals and they'll do things a little bit differently. So you have to have systems to sort of account for that. So that's, that, that is definitely a, a difference 
Another thing that I would say, and this is something that surprised me, and I'm curious if you've had a similar experience or how this will kind of resonate with you at Doximity. When I started at Ibotta, it was in the before times uh, where you would go to an office and <laughs> no, you didn't have to wear a mask and you didn't have to show proof of uh, negative COVID tests. And when we went remote, Originally, it was just intended to be like, hey, we're closing the office for a few weeks. We'll see you all in a few weeks once this whole COVID thing blows over. And uh, eventually, it just became permanent remote. But for me, that was great. It just meant that I didn't have to commute. I sort of knew all the people still. There wasn't a ton of awkwardness just transitioning in-person meetings into Zoom. But then when I started at Stripe, I was fully remote. And this was the first job that I started fully remote in the current times, in the pandemic times. And I had, I was surprised by sort of how alienating or how isolating that can be initially, because basically I'm only interacting with my immediate manager and maybe one or two people on my team. And it's like, wait, am I even in, am I in this company? Like, do people know I exist? Like, if I, like, if I don't show up to work, what happens? And all, all that kind of anxiety around being a new person just I feel like was a little bit higher. You know, that period ended pretty quickly, but it was definitely a surprise and something that I'm I'll be more cognizant of if and when I start a new uh, job fully remote. Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood. I'm excited because I wanted to let you know about this thing that I pulled together that I had just I've been dying to have this for years and I never felt like I could. And then I just realized that there's no reason why I can't. So um, I'm putting together a book club and we're going to read development focused books, career books, you know, uh, technical books, whatever. The first book that we're going to do is going to be Clean Architecture by Uncle Bob Martin. If you're not familiar with Clean Code or some of the other stuff that Bob has done, check that out. I've also talked to him on the Clean Coders podcast, which is on Top End Devs. But uh, yeah, we're going to get on. He's going to show up to some of our meetings. And what I'm thinking is we'll probably have like five or six people uh, part of the conversation along with Bob and I at the same time. And we'll just, uh, so somebody can come on, they can ask their question and then we'll just ro- rotate people through. So we'll, we'll mute one person, unmute another person when it's their turn to come on and, and be part of the discussion. So we'll do that for like an hour, hour and a half. And then the other part of it that I'm putting together is just kind of a meet and greet gather area on gather town. And so after the, the meetup and the call, what we'll do is we'll all go over to Gather Town and you can just log in, walk up to a group and have a conversation. And that way we can all kind of get to know each other and and make friends and and get to know people across the world. Uh, one thing that I'm finding is that, yeah, the meetups are starting to come back, but a lot of people don't have the opportunity to go to a meetup. And I really want to meet you guys and talk to you. So we're going to put all that together. It'll all be part of that book club. You can go to topendevs.com slash book club to be part of it. And I'm looking forward to seeing you there. The first book club meeting will be in December, the beginning of December. We're starting the first week of December. And um, you'll also be part of the conversation about which book we do next. I have one in mind, but I want to see where everybody's at. So there you go. Yeah, that transition is is tough. I, I was lucky enough to have been remote before the before times. <laughs> <laughs> so the company I was at, I mean, again, it was three or four people in the consultancy. But we, you know, we just noticed... Why are we in an office? Why are we paying for an office? All of our clients are remote. Like we basically, you know, just chat amongst ourselves in a chat room, right? It was, uh, we used Campfire at the time, which Mm. no longer exists. But, you know, we were like, all right, let's see what this looks like if we just work remote from home. 
And, you know, we picked one or two days in the week that we would always do that. And I was like, okay, well, this is working. Like, <laughs> why are we coming in the rest of the days? Like, we would come in and then put headphones on and, you know, check, go to the chat room, right? And maybe have lunch together, maybe not. Like, and so it became like a, more of a, fine, made more financial sense for the business, it would seem, to close down and just work from home all the time. So we ended up doing that uh, and transitioned out of that. And it must have been two or three years uh, that I continued to do that. And it was great, you know, like, Every once in a while, you meet up with your coworkers. And again, this is only like three or four people. So we all lived in the area and we could meet up for lunch or whatever, you know, or I have a co-working space day. And so that is, it does take some time, though, getting used to that remote lifestyle, for sure. I can't imagine having started that when, like, you couldn't go to a coffee shop, as an example. Right, right. <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, uh, that was definitely a saving grace being able to change your workspace, right? Like being cooped up, cooped up in your house all the time. If you're, if you've never done that before, which fortunately or unfortunately <laughs> everybody has done for some, some period of time, uh, recently, right? But you can go a little mad, you know, you got to change up the environment or you, you get that like cabin fever. <laughs> Absolutely. We were saying earlier before, before we started recording that that I've been doing these uh, quarterly on-sites where we go to the office once a quarter to do some planning for the next quarter or two. And I've really, really enjoyed that cadence and just getting FaceTime with my teammates and getting to kind of see the organization in person. That feel, It feels like the right cadence. I, I, I think I'd be a little grumpier if it was more often because it would require more plane travel. And I, right. I don't I don't really love plane travel. <laughs> and if it was less frequent, it, fe- it might feel like not, it might feel like not enough FaceTime. So it feels like, like kind of like the perfect, perfect combo right now. Yeah, I'd have to agree. We, we do quarterly at Doximity too. And it is a, a good like distance. And it, you know, it lines up with your transition of work, right? Like when you're doing planning, it does help being in person. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right? Like, <laughs> it's hard, like everybody like changing their video on screen, like, okay, all right, hold on, let me share my screen, you know, like, <laughs> those transitions are are so like, you know, everybody wants to strangle their computer at that point, like, <laughs> right, like, oh, it's not, that's where the technical glitches happen, right, when you're transitioning in, in any video thing. Yeah, it'll be interesting to like, see where, where folks kind of land on like, what, what needs to be in person, and what needs to, what can stay on Zoom, and what, um, how do you work efficiently asynchronously? And like a lot of what you're describing, like to me can be like, ideally would be documentation or, or documents created not and not digested in real time. Like uh, we were talking about Campfire and like DHH and Basecamp and they're huge proponents of like writing stuff up. And that's something that I've been trying to grow on where like if there's a task that I've been given to to kind of run down, Instead of just starting like a thread in Slack, it's like, no, I'm going to start a document and start like recording my notes, almost like a, like a, like a scientific journal almost where I'm like <laughs> keeping, keeping notes, like inspected the logs and found this and then like found this line of code, which was surprising for the following reasons and just starting to, to document stuff. And then when appropriate, share that document with other teammates for collaboration and, and not really expecting them to be as deep into the problem as I am immediately, but like when it's right for them, when they've got like 30 minutes to read a doc, that's that's kind of the collaboration style I'm trying to go for. Yeah, I will say I do like that uh, 
what is that? Uh, the book by WeWork. Uh, yeah, WeWork. Yeah, Re- uh, Rework. WeWork is the uh, the oh, Rework, the, right? <laughs> the <laughs> the billion dollar, multi billion dollar uh, crazy <laughs> Netflix story <laughs> at this point. Yeah, I mean, I do like the idea of a lot of asynchronous stuff kind of stacked on top of your synchronous work, right? Yeah, uh, there there's like way too much to explore right now. <laughs> Yeah, but that the, that mentality of like just pushing off stuff to be reviewed at your leisure—it's it's a hard balance though, right? Because like some things are like urgent to some people and some aren't, right? And you do want enough input from a wide enough audience for some things, and so it's like hard to find that balance sometimes, right? Of like, okay, how do you set deadlines <laughs> <laughs> for something that's asynchronous, right? Like, right. You can't really. It ends up becoming very synchronous, whether you like it or not, for for some things, you know. Yeah, that's something that I notice more experienced developers seem to be good at. (laughs) I'm not saying that, and I'm not saying that I'm good at it, because for me, it's very much like my instinct is like, give me this answer now, or like, look at this immediately, because it's it's in my uh, short term memory at this point. But I think really good developers uh, or more senior people in the organization are sort of able to like navigate that a little more elegantly <laughs> and and can can kind of get those deadlines uh, set and get people to sort of adhere to those deadlines and can kind of navigate that in a way that allows them to get what they need done, but also right. in a way that's like respectful of other people's time. So definitely something that I would like to get better at. Right. Yeah, I do wish there was a, uh, and maybe it does exist, but like a Google Doc, you know, <laughs> You could just say, all right, highlight this thing and like expires at this time, right? Like lock the comments after this, you know? Right, right. <laughs> Get it in now. Like you could say, you know, it'd be a big like just ticking time bomb, you know, next to it. <laughs> be like, all right, this is your chance, you know, a little more, add a little more urgency cues. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think Justin Searles, he's uh, the test double founder and yeah. uh, prolific Ruby on Rails speaker, uh, RailsConf RubyConf speaker and gem author. He, I believe, has a gem where you can like put in a to-do comment that like has like an explosion period where like it breaks your code if the to-do isn't done by a certain date. You or die. I love that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is that what it's called? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I have the guts to put, to actually put that into anything I work on, but the, the spirit is right. Projects. Because uh, (laughs) truly it does work. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, Shout out, Justin. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Truly great work. I mean, Testable team keeps pumping out great stuff. For Um, sure. For sure. (laughs) So uh, the other other topic I wanted to transition to here is your podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Well, tell tell us, tell our listeners about, you know, uh, we're all about sharing love here, and uh, okay, you know, okay. I'm gonna pick <laughs> up Ruby a couple Rose listeners. Is not the only podcast. If, if you don't know that, <laughs> <laughs> there are other podcasts. No, but uh, yep. no, I appreciate that. So we started or relaunched the Hello Turing World podcast, and that is a podcast kind of very closely affiliated with the Code School that I mentioned earlier, the Turing School, which is where I, I got my uh, my my coding certification. But uh, which is where, you know, I learned Ruby and Rails and software development. And it's just got such a strong community around it that we sort of felt like we needed a podcast. And there had been a a Turing podcast years ago. It was run by students. And so the downside of that was that students would graduate or or students would have 
busy upcoming deadlines and were not able to consistently get out episodes. So inevitably, whoever picked up the podcast would eventually hit one of those moments where they're like, okay, I got to choose between finding a job and completing a project and graduating this program or putting out an episode. And that choice is very obvious. And so it, it would always uh, kind of discontinue. So a few alumni got together and we decided to, to relaunch it. And the alumni community of Turing is actually pretty large at this point. There's, I want to say like 1,500 people who have completed wow. the program who are out in the developer world now doing cool things. And, and some folks are junior developers at, at new companies or in new roles. And some folks are, you know, directors of engineering or CTOs or staff engineers. There's sort of a, a pretty wide range of folks. Some people have moved into product. And we wanted to kind of have a, a way to connect that community and, and get people in that community talking to each other and just thinking about ways we can make the industry better. Uh, and so we, we relaunched this podcast and it's been a lot of fun. And so I'm super interested from, from your perspective, like, how do you make podcasting sustainable? Like, it's not, <laughs> guys, it's not as easy as it, as, as it looks. I'm curious how you've, how you made that happen. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've only joined an existing working podcast. Uh, <laughs> right. So uh, from what my experience having several co-hosts, seems to be part of the magic in that, you know, if somebody can't make it, which happens a lot, you know, you still get the regular recording in and just keeping consistent recording times. And we have a very casual format. Yeah, yeah, for sure. (laughs) You know, uh, it makes it easier where, you know, we still do research before on, uh, you know, I'll go and I'll read your blog and make sure that I know what you're doing (laughs) and what we're talking about, you know, beforehand. Uh, But it is hard, you know, sometimes... I'm there a few minutes before, like reading through everything, <laughs> hoping that one of the other co-hosts has enough to say, you know, <laughs> it's hard. And yeah, it's hard. I <laughs> Okay. So, you, so maybe you don't have the answer quite yet, but what do you think about, like, how do you define success? Like, what do you, what do you get out of this, Valentino? I mean, to me, it's fun just talking to other people. I yeah, mean, everybody sure. has their own perspective and we both work at fairly large organizations, fairly large companies. Uh, our experiences are probably completely different. You know, even though we do a lot of the same language stuff, we have similar stacks uh, in some ways, you know, a lot of the technologies might even be the same, but the processes aren't, especially as you scale. Like, sure, you could have like the, the a very typical structure of like, okay, QA people, you know, DevOps people, XYZ people that are grouped in very similar ways. But the things that people do are not. And the way that the company is run is always different. You know, like when you get into bigger organizations, okay, the organization itself could be great, but some departments might not be. And so you may even work in the same company and have completely different experiences depending on the team. And so like, there's so many different variables out there, right? Like, that's what I get out of it. I just, I love talking to people that do kind of the same stuff, but they have a completely different experience and it does make their work completely different, you know? And so what I think I know, you know, they'll come in and, you know, somebody like you will, you'll show me what, you know, making a podcast really is, you know, I, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. I think like Ruby, Ruby Rogues is like always in the, the conversation around like most popular uh, Ruby podcasts. So I don't know about that. 
But so, I, I, well, agree. I mean, you know, I agree with you that there's a certain audience, right? But you have a market on Turing graduates, right? Uh, yeah. And so, we're, like, we're, and we're going to capitalize on that market. You're, capital, <laughs> you're capitalizing on it. You have cornered the market there, you know? <laughs> yeah. There's, there's, we are the only. Turing School affiliated <laughs> podcast that I know of. <laughs> but well, like, that's awesome. And I, I know, uh, was it uh, Jason Carnes uh, yep. and the folks, right? Like they're always talking about go out and make a podcast. If, if you feel like you have something to talk about, talk about it, right? Like, because yeah. you'll end up making an impact to somebody, right? And I think that's what anybody that's interested in giving a talk at any conference, like go and make a proposal. Like you yeah. honestly never know. Uh, and you're, I have been impacted personally from people giving talks at conferences, like so many people, right? And, you know, people that are not, are maybe at a lower level than I am and have impacted me positively and changed the way that I work. So that's kind of, you know, another positive of doing these podcasts uh, is getting people like Jesse on here, you know, you've come on and you've created this whole community and podcast that's going to reach other people. I mean, Turing is not the only school to, yeah, like Flatiron School. There's so many different schools that are boot camps or do the certifications. And, you know, there's people can relate. And I I think what you're doing is great. Thank uh, you. I mean, what what do you get out of it? I'm curious. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, Yeah, we're, we, we're not biased against any other code school. If you, if you come from a different code school, we welcome your listenership and, uh, you know, I get the last um, RubyConf, I gave a, a workshop on RSpec and we were, the room was su- surprisingly full, <laughs> shockingly, scarily full. And I, I don't know, there's probably a hundred or so people in the room, but I know for a fact that all of our episodes so far have at least way more downloads than that. So it's, it's interesting to see like the scale of podcast listenership and how many folks you can get to sort of attend to things that you think are interesting for me. Like, what do I get out of it? Like my co-hosts are awesome. So our, our friend, our mutual friend, Mark Miranda, he was the one who had the idea. He, he actually, he slacked me and was like, Hey, I've got an idea. And I was like, immediately I'm like, are we doing a podcast? Cause like, if we are, I'm in. <laughs> and he was like, actually, that is what I was going to say. That's and really funny. So, so Mark, you know, getting to hang out with Mark is very cool. And then my other co-hosts are uh, Marshall Houston, who's a good buddy of mine, and then Jeannie Evans. And they're just people that I, I like to hang out with. And so it's a good excuse to have kind of sacred time on the calendar every week to, to hang out with these people. And then the bonus is we get to bring someone interesting in. And when we first were brainstorming, like, should we do this? we started making a list of people who we'd be interested in talking to. And like in five minutes, I had like over a hundred people where I was like, I want to talk to this person and this person and this person. And these are people that like legitimately we could have conversations with. Like it wasn't like, you know, we're bringing in like the, some famous CEO or something like that. These are people that we have connections with that would be willing to, that we think would be willing to talk with us. So that has been, um, that has been really, really uh, gratifying. And I think part of, and just tying this back to like working in, in kind of big tech, my job is very, very, very specialized. And I think the bigger the company, the bigger the tech stack, the more specialized the software development becomes. And like the domain focus is very, very, very narrow. And so I guess like for some people that that is a, that is enough or that is a way to be creative. For me, that's it's interesting work. 
but it doesn't necessarily flex all the creative muscles that I feel like I want to flex all the time. And so podcasting kind of flexes another set of creativity muscles that I feel like I need to, um, need to, need to work on. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's like, (laughs) communication is hard enough. Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) You know, being a remote too, you know, you talk to people less and those communication skills fade, right? Yes. It's (laughs) like, like, drop off, like, especially with COVID, it's just like, all right, cliff like <laughs> it's like uh tom hanks talk, talk tom to hanks people. movie right where we're trapped on an island and you like forget how to speak <laughs> and, <Right. laughs> and it's definitely that's definitely it's honestly it's helped me in my marriage like uh realizing you know so so many times i've i've thought something and then thought that by me thinking it my wife somehow knows that i've thought that thing and then that's the source of a lot of problems. And now, and in a podcast, you're sort of really forced to reckon with being very clear, both to the person that you're speaking to, but then this like invisible third, like third or fourth wall of the audience that that is um, listening asynchronously. And like, how can I be right. really clear to this person, but also clear to this audience? And that has I actually feel like it's helped me with my personal communication <laughs> quite a bit. <laughs> I still have a problem with that, you know, because <laughs> you, you want to be entertaining, but at the same time, like, you know, you want to be clear, like it is tough. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so what are some challenges that you face, like making this podcast? Like, is it, have you found it like difficult to get guests? Like, how does that like communication work even amongst the people like your co-organizers? Yeah, the, that's interesting. I think that right now we're still in the Every, it's still pretty new. We have got one season recorded and about half of it has been released and we're kind of starting to record the next season. And so I think that we're still, I don't think we've systematized enough things yet. And so I would say that that is kind of the, the challenge right now of like, okay, everything is manual. Everything We're creating new documents manually. We're doing email invitations manually setting up recordings manually. So it'd be nice if kind of that was automated and that way you could just kind of show up at the recording time and just kind of do the thing. So that would be good. <laughs> yeah, I think it also like says a lot about like what kind of developer you are, or, like how long you can persist in that state of knowing something needs to be automated and and doing it or not doing it. Like I feel like there's some developers who like can't be, like as soon as there's an opportunity to automate something, they're like, I need to do this. I think I definitely drag my feet a little bit more. I'm willing to like brute force it. But that, that's been a challenge. Getting folks hasn't really been a challenge. I think that the community around Turing is strong enough and like the experience is so meaningful to so many people who have really been able to like pivot from being fairly dissatisfied with the state of their lives to being very satisfied and having kind of a high fulfillment technical career such that they're willing to put the time in to do the conversation and and share their experience with a, a bigger Turing audience. So getting folks on has has not been a problem at all. We have kind of a queue of people that we're excited to talk with. So, so far, so good. Yeah, that's nice. That's a, I, I always, you know, I, I hear of people making their podcasts and I always just think how much work it must go into like <laughs> fitting all of the boxes in, right? Like, yeah. you know, it's because there's editing involved and you got to make sure all the sound sounds right. Not everybody records with you know a, the greatest mic in the world you know right and right. so like how do you get all these things smooth and 
have a consistent end result, it's so hard. And <laughs> thankfully, you know, there's a lot of great products out there and a lot of things to help. But like a lot of those are you have to pay for them. And where does that funding come from? Right. Like, right. Right. How, how does that work for you? Like, have you hit that wall <laughs> yet of funding is a problem or? <laughs> yeah, it's right now it's a labor of love for sure. Uh, yeah. So we're we're not trying to we're not trying to capitalize on this too much. So we're we're still kind of in the free tier uh, of everything. But yeah, it, it, I, and I think there's sort of like um, there's enough there, there's enough goodwill. I think that that we want to support support Turing in this way. Turing's a nonprofit, which is different than a lot of other code schools that are for profit. And right. so it feels like hey, this is this is a community I care a lot about. This is a way that I'm giving back to the community or trying to like keep the community active. And so if it came down to, if I, if someone twisted my arm and was like, you need to pay 20 bucks a month for Riverside or whatever it is, I'd be like, all right, 20 bucks a month, we'll do it. Right. Yeah. Worth it. That totally makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That said, if anybody, if there, if there are any rich donors out there, we will accept donations. <laughs> Honestly, you never know. You know, I so support Jesse and the podcast for sure. Uh, I'm always, I'm know. always looking for a wealthy benefactor. <laughs> that's my out too, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not just for the podcast. That's just if you if you just like if you like how I'm living and you want to support me, I'm I'm open to it. <laughs> that was kind of my hope out of, you know, GitHub sponsorships. Is, right. You know, <laughs> I'll, I'll just somehow, set this up. I'm sure so just like, yeah, this guy looks sounds good. Like, let me give him like a few hundred dollars a week, you know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I, I like this guy's style. Yeah. Let's let's start donating to him. I definitely signed up for that with that exact thought process. Like, right. Someone's gonna really like the random side projects that I post on GitHub. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, thankfully, it does seem that GitHub sponsors is helping some people that are doing some great things. Uh, oh, for sure. In the Ruby and Rails community, you know, so there are good things that came out of it. <laughs> More than you know, just me not wanting to work too hard. Yeah, we still haven't gotten our benefactors yet. Right. <laughs> but for the, the people who actually deserve it, then yeah, good good on good on them and good on their supporters. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So what what have you taken out of this whole like podcast generation organizing and stuff? Like is it for other people that like want to do this themselves, like yeah. is there like value that you've taken away or maybe something that you're like, okay, it is worth this labor of love, you know? Yeah. Well, unlike unlike the friendly Ruby on Rogues folks, I would say there's no more room in the podcasting world. Like, don't start a new podcast. There are no, no, no. I think, like I said, there's definitely like a creative itch that this scratches for me. And like, I think, you know, I've also started to do more writing. And these are just other ways that I can like express myself and like get my content out there. I used to, I used to maintain um, a more technical blog and I would try to like write up here, here's like this this Ruby hack or this thing that, you know, this, this API thing that I figured out or whatever. And I think I ran out of steam there because I'm not always like a hundred percent dialed in on like, I don't always have like a new tech thing that I'm, that I'm working on. I know, I know that's maybe sacrilegious, but that's, that is my reality. But I, I, there are, you know, there are things that every, every week or two, there's, there's stuff that I could write about in terms of here's just like the latest thing that I'm like, thinking about that I think is cool or worthwhile, whether it be another hobby that I'm working on or a cool book that I read or something like that. So I've been writing more and I also bring that into the podcast. And so for me, there's just like this creative itch that 
this scratches. And if you're the kind of person who likes having conversations with people who want, who's kind of yearning for this creative outlet, it's, it's great. It's super fun. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Re- recommend. The, the creative itch is definitely, especially in, in Ruby, right? Which is so expressive. It like yes. makes you want to be more creative, you know, <laughs> because you can do things so many different ways and so easily. And I don't know if you've ever seen the uh, tricks contest. Ooh. It's just absolutely incredible. It blows your mind every time they do it. Ruby Kaigi. And this, this one guy, I hope I'm saying his name right. Yusuke Endo. He's just like incredible, like the stuff that he makes. And like he has this one like circle of quines where he goes through and like has a program generate a program in another language that generates a program in another language. Uh, and it goes in a circle for like 192 languages, I think. Uh, <laughs> and just like incredible stuff. Like they just like, uh, <laughs> You know, I, I love seeing that stuff and like basically like b- making art out of like your code. But there are different ways of, yeah. of doing that, right? Like podcasts are, are, you know, they're basically an art form. Scratching that creative itch, you know, writing like, like you said, you don't have to write up something crazy technical to, you know, talk about what you're working on, right? Like, it's funny. I wish there was something where I could have like a captain's log and like, some AI would go and make it, you know, harder <laughs> article for me. <laughs> uh, hey, you should do it, man. You know, I should. I should just work on that. That should be my uh, side tech, you know. <laughs> yeah, is, is, is Valentino, Valentino's log.com available? Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Is dot .log a, a domain yet? <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, we do. Mine is uh, verynormal.info. So if you're if you're interested in very normal information, you can check it out. I'm going to check that out. (laughs) Have you ever wished that you had a group of people that were just as passionate about writing code as you are? I know I did. I did that for most of my career. I'd go to the meetups. I try and create other opportunities. And it was just really hard. Right. The meetups, I got some of that, but they were only like once or twice a month. And it was just really hard to find that group of people that I connected with and, and really wanted to, you know, talk about code a lot. Right. I mean, I love writing code. I think it's the best. And so I've decided to create this community and create it a, a worldwide community that we can all jump in and do it. So we're going to have two workshops every week. One of those or two of those every month are going to be Q&A calls, right? Where you can get on, you can ask me or me and another expert questions. Uh, the rest of them are going to be focused on different aspects of career or programming or things like that, right? So it'll go anywhere from like deployments and containers all the way up to managing your 401k and negotiating your benefits package. We'll, we'll cover all of it, Okay. And then we're also going to have meetups every month for your particular technology area. So we have shows about JavaScript, React, Angular, Vue, and so on. We're going to have meetups for all of those things. I'm going to revive the freelancer show. We'll have one about that, right? So you can get started freelancing or continue freelancing if that's where you're at. And I'm working on finding authors who can actually do weekly video tutorials on something for 10 minutes that's related, to, again, to those technology areas so that you can stay current and keep growing. So if you're interested, go to topendevs.com slash sign up and you can get in right now for $39. When we're done, that price is going to go up to $75. And the $39 price gets you access to two calls per week. The The full price at $150, which is going to be $75 over the next few weeks, that price is going to get you access to all of the calls. 
and all of the tutorials and everything else that we put out from Top End Devs along with member pricing for our remote conferences that are coming up next year. So go check it out, topendevs.com slash sign up. All right, awesome. Is there anything else you want to dive into before we uh, move to picks here? Yes, let's do picks. All right. So if you're not familiar, at the end of every episode, we just you know pick something. It can be anything. It doesn't have to be tech that you find interesting or that you want to share with the listeners. You can go first. I don't have any yet. Okay, okay. So to full disclosure, the production of the thing that I'm about to recommend is affiliated with my employer. So I want to put that out there. So the thing, the pick that I want to recommend is a book called The Dream Machine by M. Mitchell Waldrop. came out in 2001, and it's currently being published by uh, Stripe Press. So it's affiliated with my employer. And it is the story of a guy named J.C.R. Licklider and the advent of personal computing. So if you're interested in history, history of ideas, computers, basically, like if you're listening to this podcast, you might really like this book. It's definitely the best book that I've read this year. Super interesting to think about like what early computers were like, what what the people who worked on early computers were like, and kind of how visionary some of these folks really were who could, you know, in the 40s and the 50s really predict like the internet and like how we work with computers today, even though there was nothing uh, nothing like that. They were inventing those ideas out of nothing. So I love that book. Recommend it. And yeah, that's my pick. The Dream Machine. Dream Machine. That's awesome. So I've just got one pick today. One of my coworkers, Michael Fezenden, wrote this article on Doximity's blog, uh, The Cyclical Nature of In-House Tooling. Uh, basically just talking about standard, standardized processes and how they improve the delivery of our products for our customers. Really great write-up on you know how small groups and automated processes and uh, just setting very you know specific feedback and, and cycles can really help make a solid product. So I would recommend checking that out and I'll leave a link to that in the show notes. I'll check Jesse, it out. Thanks for coming on and uh, it was great talking to you. And if people want to you know reach you on the internet, uh, how, how can they reach out? Yeah, Valentino, thank you for for talking with me. It was, it was good to hang out with you for for an hour or so. Yeah, people can find me. I'm on Twitter at Planet Efficacy. And uh, you can find my blog at uh, verynormal.info. And then we podcast. It's called the Hello Turing World podcast. So if you Google Hello Turing World, you'll find the podcast. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, go check that out. I'm going to start listening myself. It sounds really cool. And uh, until next time, folks, Valentino out. Peace. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.